brush your teeth with Resonance FM. Dental cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What a cleans your teeth. Toothpaste cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What a cleans your teeth. Resonance 104.4 FM. Cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And worldwide on the net. ResonanceFM.com. This is the Bike Snob of New York City, and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM 104.4. Summer in London, watery sunshine, a place in the city where I can go sometimes. To get on a red bus and go anywhere See all the sights and not pay the fare Summer in London Chips on your shoulder Chips in your mouth Can you see the old lady With tickets to town the tourists into their track Taking their money The shirts off their back Summer in London To get in a taxi And go anywhere Jump out at the park And not pay the fare Watch speakers call And listen to their talk Eating their ice creams Going for a walk That's right, you're listening to The Bike Show with me, Jack Thurston, in an experimental outside broadcast from a place that has just mushroomed up on Old Street, which is a kind of mecca of London cycling. The number of cyclists that come east to west here in the morning and west to east in the evening, right about now, is um, extraordinary. And we're here to, um, to take a look around Look Mum No Hands and hear from the proprietors. And we're also here to talk about the Giro d'Italia, which is um, entering its last week. They're on a rest day today. And uh, Look Mum No Hands, in fact, has got the Giro up uh, yesterday's stage playing um, on the big screen here. Um, and to talk Giro is um, Lionel Burney of Cycling Weekly. Welcome to the bike show, Lionel. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, and also Simon Rose, who um, we'll, we, we mentioned last week the uh, Rafa compilation CD inspired by the Giro, and Simon is the curator of that. Have you been following the Giro? Uh, yes, definitely, Jack. Yeah. And Sam... Um, you're one of the proprietors of Look Mum No Hands. Uh, we'll take a quick look around in a moment. I'll get, get rid of my headphones and we can go walk about on the, with the, uh, the radio mic. Um, but tell us what, what the, uh, the idea of it was when you, when you, when you first conceived of, of this beautiful place. Wow. Uh, that was a long time ago. But the first conception was simple. Uh, a cafe for cyclists by cyclists, I guess. It's a big place. You know, it's a great space. You've got a cafe here. You've got a workshop. You've got an outside space. Uh, how did you find the location? Um, persistence and luck I think we were looking for properties for at least six months maybe longer before we found something that um, kind of anywhere near ticked all the boxes for us and, and this uh, completely surpassed our expectations we're, we're so pleased with it and it was a real find so do you want to give us a quick lightning tour go on then a lightning tour well we're in the, the main cafe at the moment which is um, 
right on Old Street and we've got a whole side of the cafe is one big long stretch of window. Is that 20, 20 metres long? Something like that, yeah. Um, it's been very expensive getting it shuttered, that's, that's all I know. Um, at the far end we've got our 8 foot projector screen which has got a Eurosport on at the moment. Uh, opposite is the bar. We can walk. We can walk, yeah. yeah. You're mobile. You're welcome, mate. Thank you. Um, we've got the bar with our coffee machine and our back bar full of Belgian beer. And had to be Belgian beer, didn't it? Had to be Belgian beer. And, uh, and the meanest um, millionaire's shortbread this side of, I don't know where, Kingdom Come. I had a slice on Saturday. Excellent. It seems to be getting a, a reputation for itself. Everyone, everyone comments on the shortbread. And let me... It's the got something special in it. It's spiked with something special for the cyclists. We'll come to doping in the Giro d'Italia in a minute. But anyway, so yeah, you've got, you've got the bar here. How, how late are you open in the evenings? We're here till 10 every night, seven days a week. Um, so it's nice. It's kind of a, a sort of European cafe culture, we like to think, rather than being a pub, we're just a, a late night bar. And let's have a look in your lair, because you're the... Um, mechanic of the of the co-op as it were of the three of you guys i don't know if you're a co-op or um, i guess some sort of a business probably and here we are stepping into your lair what's going on in here my little corner it's not as pretty as the rest of the cafe but well um, this is radio so you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just my little uh, my little hidey hole kind of fi- slowly filling up with stock and all the bits and pieces we need to keep a uh, keep the workshop turning over um it's small, but I think there's just enough room to, to swing a bike in here. So you're, doing, you're not doing sales of much, but you're doing fixings. Fixing exactly, yeah. yeah. Fixing yeah. and all the parts needed for sort of a full service. And um, outside, this is the sort of terrace, courtyard, with a bamboo. This, this is the bit where we really weren't expecting to be able to have in the middle of London. We were really looking for somewhere that could have bike parking and facilities so people could turn up by bike, but... Having our own private courtyard, we, we really didn't think we'd be able to find. And um, it, was, it was my little project to get the bike parking sorted out here. And, and we're, we're really pleased with how it's going at the moment. There's probably there's three different types of bike parking. We've got normal toast racks, as they're called. Um, we've got cyclops on the wall, which are kind of a funky plastic designed uh, mount. And we've got plant locks just outside the front as well that are planted out and I think between all of them we can fit 30 bikes locked up out here. Right, right. Well I'm going to go and dive in and ask a couple of your customers what they think of the place. Hello, you're live on Resonance FM. Would you like to say what you reckon to this iced coffee you've got here and look mum no hands? To recommend people to come here for example. Uh, well, yeah. Why are you here? Because it's the most friendly place I think, uh, more different and kind of chilled out uh, in the city centre. And do you ride a bike? I actually don't ride a bike. I'm a bus user. But it's very, very friendly. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, well, yes. I'm, uh, I'm normally riding. So it's very nice. Every time that we come across, it's like, okay, we have to go there. And now we're here. So It's your first time? Yes, the first time. And you're going to come back? Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the gentleman here, how you doing? Very well. Got a glass of water there and a very heavy bag. Yes. Yeah. What do you think about this place? Uh, fabulous. Uh, what do you want to know? <laughs> this isn't your first time. I've been a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. And you like it? Uh, yeah. It's it's comfortable. It's located well. It's nice. I can put my bike there. It's yes. It's good. Great. All right. Well, that's three extremely satisfied customers of, of, of hundreds. You've got a brilliant press, haven't you, so far? Ooh. 
we've had nothing but lovely press. Um, everywhere, everyone seems to be very supportive, and it's quite a it's a nice idea that every, everybody seems to like. Um, I mean, what we've been pleased and surprised with is that it's not just cyclists that we've been attracting here. We we are just a, a nice cafe in a, a lovely spot, and when the sun shines, the, the garden's full of people on bikes or not on bikes. And I guess it's probably too early to sell to say definitively in terms of the business you know the long-term sustainability and viability of it all but you know are you op- optimistic and hopeful yes yes we are we're we are still very excited about it and um it's been going better than we than we um had imagined and i think it, we think it's building and we're really looking forward to the tour de france as kind of our big sort of peak in the middle of the summer when when cycling really is sort of news and you'll be showing every stage live Every stage live, as, as long as Eurosport are showing it, that's our, it's the only weak link in the chain at the moment. I know they, they pulled coverage from British Eurosport on Sunday, the most exciting stage of the Giro so far. Um, so we, we rely on them, but luckily we, we have European Eurosport and not British Eurosport. Which is superior, so it'll test people's uh, linguistic powers. It is it's full strength Eurosport and undiluted cycling. They, they don't have as much time for tennis as, as British Eurosport seem to. Okay, well thanks Sam. Let's get back to the... Uh, to the Giro, um, Lionel, tell us the story of, um, of this year's Giro so far. Well, it's been an absolutely extraordinary race so far. Um, I'm not sure I can, uh, can condense two weeks of action into a, into a minute or so's uh, um, appraisal, but, but it really has been a, a grand tour unlike any that I can remember. Um, it's changed every day. The attacking racing has been uh, quite incredible to watch. Um, and, and really... As much as you want to predict what might happen each day, uh, th- there's really no point doing so because the, the race has just changed, turned on its head one way and then the other. And, and even now, with a week to go, I wouldn't want to call which way it's going to go. What's, what's going to decide it in the, uh, in the final analysis? Well, at the moment, uh, a Spanish rider called David Arroyo is in the lead. Um, he's got an advantage of about three minutes over Ivan Basso. Um, and we've got... Uh, a week's racing left to go resumes again tomorrow um, and then finishes on Sunday but the crucial stages are towards the end of the week um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and then Sunday's time trial if the time gaps are small and the, the, the job for Basso and the other climbers is to try and take back more time on Arroyo and, and hopefully They'll, they'll be in a position to beat him in the time trial their problem is that Arroyo is a good climber as well so it's going to be tough and in terms of the organisation of a Grand Tour, is there a difference between the, the Giro and the Tour, you know, as, a, as, as the way it comes through for the spectator and the enthusiast? Um, you know, what, what, or is it just like the Italian version of the Tour de France? Um, I think they, they take that as a bit of an affront if you just called it the Italian version of the Tour de France. I think they've made real strides to try and make it a race um, in its own character. Uh, their branding with the pink jersey and, and pink everywhere is quite extraordinary. I mean, the Tour de France's yellow is very vibrant, but even that is not on a par with, with pink. And when you... I was in Amsterdam for the opening weekend, uh, and, you know, Amsterdam, famous for its red light district, but the whole city was was pink for the weekend because the Giro is, is absolutely synonymous with that colour. It is the colour, of course, of Gazzetta dello Sport, the newspaper, and that's where, where it all comes from. But I think it goes beyond just a, a branding of a colour. There is definitely a, a sense of fun and enjoyment about the race, whereas the Tour de France is really quite a serious 
a serious event. Um, the Giro has got a, a sense of cheek and a bit of fun about it. Any uh, kind of memorable moments so far on that front? Uh, well, this year's race has been, I'd say, two stages which are unlike any I've seen for many, many a year. The first was to Montalcino in Tuscany, uh, and the general idea of the organisers was to send the race over the, the dusty white roads that are the farm tracks of Tuscany, um, which I, I think... The Strade Bianchi. The stra- that's, yeah, I was hoping you'd help me out there, but yeah, they're, they're, they're the farm tracks which link together the vineyards and the olive groves and what have you. Um, and we know about the Eroica, the one-day race which goes over those gravelly roads the Italian Paris-Roubaix if you like and the organisers no doubt thought they would get fantastic images of white dust flying up in the wake of the riders but that day it rained and turned all of the gravel to a brown slime and it turned it into an absolute epic and it was an incredible day of racing um, and, it, and time was lost there that, that won't be recovered in the rest of the race and then to add to that um, last week on Wednesday in fact, when Cycling Weekly was here at Look Mum No Hands to do its live text coverage for the website, the race split in two and a group of 50 riders went away and they gained 12 minutes on the likes of Cadell Evans and Alexander Vanukarov and brought back people into the reckoning that had been completely out of it up to that point. And I haven't seen something that significant in a Grand Tour uh, for, well, certainly in the time I've been covering them. So I'm going to bring in Simon Rose here. Simon, you're uh, all kitted out in the. Uh, you look like you just come from the Giro d'Italia. You know, you've got the tan, you've got the, uh, you've got the advertising, and the shoes, and all the rest of it, and the sunglasses. You know, have you been following it? Ah, uh, yeah, definitely, I've been following it, and um, it, it is. Uh, you know, as Arnold was saying, it's kind of, from my point of view, it's. Uh, you know, it, it, it is. It, it's totally different from the Tour de France in terms of it, it's intrinsically, I know this is a silly thing to say but, it, but it's so Italian, it's unbelievable if you like, it's, uh, and it's kind of well, what, what we've tried to do with the album is kind of just kind of celebrate that and celebrate the sort of you know, emotions and you know, you saw the crowds yesterday on the stage and it, you know, never seen anything like it but it's uh, you know, it's, I, th- I think the you know, the, the, the sort of thing that's really nice about it is it's, you know it, 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 it lacks a sort of cosmopolitanness of the Tour de France. The Tour de France is open, it's everywhere, and I think the, the Giro is kind of still that sort of, you know, thing that's got a bit more stylized, it's got that Italian flair to it, and I think that, that's, that's really nice. Even when you're watching it, it just conjures up, you know, it, it, you know, we're talking about the wine, Tuscany, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you could say that about the Tour, but I think that's become a bit, you know, of a process now, and that's kind of been eked out. But I think, uh, yeah, the, you know, the Giro's definitely still got that, that Italian flair and that, you know, that... that uh, style about it. And so how do you put it all onto a onto a CD? <laughs> well, that's quite hard. I mean, I don't think you know we we went about it, and you know we've had loads of conversations, you know, with with people, you know, who, who ride bikes and who follow cycling, you know, including yourself, and you know, um, and everyone had their own ideas. It's just kind of you know pulling those ideas and sort of you know saying you know looking at you know the crowds, looking at the race, and sort of you know kind of picking out some key key parts of Italian music but then aligning that with you know with, with contemporary stuff and not being too uh, prescriptive about it and just kind of celebrating you know the the, the passion of it um, and you know the, the great parts of it and discovering you know new Italian music as well and sort of saying well you know there's great stuff you know from Italo disco to you know house music of the 80s right back to you know the likes of Lucio Battisti and Paolo Conte who were great sort of jazz musicians in their day. Well, yeah you have got um, Paolo Conte's uh, track Bartali 
um, which we're not going to play now, right now because it has been on the show before. But um, his great rival, of course, um, in the Giro d'Italia and in many other races was Fausto Coppi. And just up the road from Mumlohans, don't mention it too loudly, is the uh, Rafa. Well, you can mention it loudly because they're all friends. And there's plenty of people walking around here in Rafa t-shirts, including, I think, one of the proprietors of this place. But um, downstairs at the Rafa pop-up shop at the moment is an, a really rather good exhibition of memorabilia relating to um, the life of Fausto Coppi, including a, a few of um, the bicycles, well, the replica bicycles of the bicycles that he would have been riding um, in his career. And I met up a couple of days ago with Kadir Gire, who's a bicycle collector and cyclist, um, and um, asked him what he found particularly interesting about um, Fausto Coppi. He's a very interesting character because he kind of represents the kind of urbane Italy of the 1950s, whereas his sort of arch-rival Bartali was kind of the Tuscan paysan. Um, he had a kind of checkered career. He was kind of a wonderkind. He was sort of picked up before the war um, by this blind masseur called Kavanagh. He was a kind of talent spotter. Copy was brought to him and he sort of felt Copy's heart, listened to his breathing and said, this kid's amazing, but you must eat steak, you must look after yourself, you mustn't go after women. And he sort of took him under his wing and guided him uh, for his early part of his career. Then the war came along. I didn't think he had a sort of a troubled war, but he was a POW, but he was sort of taken care of by the British Army, who, had, who, who sort of looked after him. Then he went, he back, went back to Italy, joined up with the Bianchi team, raced, became incredibly successful. So let's wander over and see the display here of his um, very lengthy and comprehensive oh. palmares. Yes. I mean, you know... That's pretty much everything, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he, he basically won the Giro d'Italia in 1940 on his first outing. Uh, and what happened was Bartoli sort of realised that he couldn't win it and then worked for Coppi. Um, much to his kind of chagrin, he didn't really want to, but he did, so it was for the greater good of Bianchi. Because this was when they were um, racing together. Exactly. And then after the war, Bartoli, uh, you know, raced for his own team, uh, whereas Coppi was always associated with Bianchi. What, what was interesting about Coppi, he had a kind of a, a scandalous life. He sort of split up with his wife and, and started sort of living with a married woman. It was excommunicated by the Pope. And it was sort of, you know... So it's very much kind of culture clash yeah. of Italy very in the post-war so. reconstruction phase where you've got probably north-south divides, exactly. you've got the church, you've got the rise of secular Italy, yes. um, perhaps leftist leanings. Yeah. Coppi was associated with the left, but only because Bartoli was associated with the right, although Coppi had no sort of leftist leanings at all and sort of wanted to kind of steer well clear of politics within his life. He had enough trouble, as it were, with sort of society. Let's take a look at some, uh, some of these bicycles. OK, we have here a very early uh, Paris-Roubaix Bianchi, beautiful light blue Celeste, with a very interesting gear system, pre-derailia. And what you had to do, you had a kind of set of rods which would release the wheel, then change gear. You had to backpedal while doing this. It was very slightly complicated and very fiddly, not like the derailleur gears we have these days. And Kopi didn't use these at all. He used more gears. He basically looked for modern methods. He was actually sort of known for his sort of uh, openness to modern techniques. And he was actually the one of the people who introduced a very clean, um, i.e. sort of looking after yourself during the tour, washing, making sure you were very clean, making sure you, you looked after your body, because 
riders suffered a hell of a lot in those days from saddle sores because basically they'd get off the bike, they wouldn't look after themselves, they'd go to bed too late. He was almost like a monk. I think uh, there was this famous story where Jacques Anquetil, the, f- the famous French uh, rider of the 60s, went and um, stayed with Coppi and sort of was kind of admiring of his methods, but he said, I don't want to live like a monk. He used to go out and drink champagne, lobsters before a race and things like that, whereas Coppi would very, you know, he'd really watch what he ate, almost like kind of Lance Armstrong sort of, you know, who sort of measured whatever he ate. It's one of the very distinctive features of cycling, isn't it? This celeste colour of the oh. Yankee bicycles, unchanged really. I think it's, uh, it grows on you. It really does. It's a very, I mean, it's hard to explain. You have to look at it. It's a kind of almost duck egg blue. But it is so iconic. And actually the colour has changed through the years. But it was, when it first came out, it was absolutely beautiful. And also what's interesting in these bikes is they're very modern um, angle-wise. And also um, they have a thing called an internal headset, which is the kind of where the forks enter the main sort of point of the frame. All the bearings are internally sort of uh, internal to the frame, which is most people think is a very modern sort of development. But actually, these bikes were from 1953, and they look, for all intents and purposes, they're probably quite heavy, but they, they do have the kind of look of a modern bike. So as well as the bikes down here, there's some lovely um, ephemera, mm. um, some magazine covers. Um, and they are, they are beautiful. There is something that is not present in the, in the design of the day. And, and there are these photographs of them going up the mountains with the goggles on and the two metal water bottles mounted on the front of the bicycles. I mean, What you notice is there's a lot of people around. There are a lot of people at the top of mountains, all in suits, and they've all walked up there. Um, because you've got to remember that sort of just post-war cycling was the people's sport. You didn't have to pay for it, and you could sort of cheer your leaders on uh, without having to pay any money. And there was also big rivalries in who you supported, you know, as in Bartali Coppi. You know, you, there's always been this kind of, you know, are you with him, are you with him, you know. Similarly with football teams. There's, mean, a, there's a couple of pictures here that caught my eye. One of uh, Pastor Coppi on the track... Mm. and another of him um, looking all alone um, in in the mountains. These remind me a little bit of of the Belleville Rendezvous character. Do you think he he is modelled on Fausto Coppi, that face? The eyes and the arched eyebrows and the long nose and the sort of dark colouring and a slightly gaunt look. He was, uh, he's definitely, they use Coppi as their kind of model for the sort of uh, drawn and haggard cyclist. I mean, although he was a far better cyclist than the guy in Belleville Rendezvous which is a beautiful bit of film as well. But he suffered. I mean, he, he admitted to, to doping. You know, he said, I couldn't have done what I did without drugs. And there are pictures of him after a race where he looked completely wired, completely sort of at, his, at the end of his sort of strength. But then again, you know, they were riding sort of 300 kilometers a day in searing heat. <laughs> and also, you know, the, the wonderful thing about all these pictures is, you know, these days people wear sunglasses all the time. They wear helmets. So it's a slightly sort of indistinct. You're not sure who you're looking at a lot of the time. With these photographs, you actually see the rider. You see the pain in his face. You see kind of, you know, what he's looking for. He's looking ahead or he's, you know, at, at a loss to sort of keep up. We're standing in front of a picture of um, Coppi and Bartali sharing a, sharing a drink here. Um, <laughs> and this is not the, the very famous 
picture it, of, of where you're not quite sure who's handing to whom because yes. there is one of that when they I think they're riding up a mountain here they look like they're riding no, through a village same, is it it's the same moment but a different photograph oh it is yeah it okay. was only this this was a very famous you know who handed who the bottle did copy hand Bartali the bottle or did Bartoli hand copied the bottle because it was like who helped who out. But in fact, you can see that um, that copy is handing Bartoli the bottle. It looks even picture. like it might be a wine bottle, doesn't it? It, it wouldn't surprise me. It's probably a bottle of water. Who knows? They, but they probably were, handed from the roadside yeah. because it's not, not it's not one of their their metal drinking bottles. No, you can see the label on the side of it there. Yeah, could be a nice drop of Chianti, but I doubt it. Because in those days, you had to carry the water on the bike. You had to stop at fountains and fill up. There weren't water bottle sort of uh, cars as there are on the main tours these days. You weren't handed bottles as you go along. Nowadays, riders go up the mountain and they can be given up to sort of 20 bottles. Uh, in those days, you had what you had. You ran out, you had to jump into a cafe. And in fact, what riders used to do was they'd kind of raid cafes. They'd jump off their bike, jump into the cafe, raid the fridges, nick whatever they wanted. And then the, the tour organisers would pick up the bill at the end of the day at rather inflated prices. Well, I was talking there with Katia Gure at the uh, Rafa uh, exhibition of Fausto Coppi. Um, enough of the romance of the Giro d'Italia of the past. Um, the Giro d'Italia of the future, of the future and now, it, it's po- not possible really to talk about it without talking about doping because it has been affected. In the, you know, the winner in 2007... Was uh, dis- well just been disqualified, hasn't he? He hasn't lost his title. Uh, and then we've had Floyd Landis revelations last week, and some more tests of Astaloza and other big guns coming through this week. You know, what, what, how is doping affecting this this, this year's Giro, and how do, is it like to affect the tour? Well, I think in terms of this year's Giro, it's been untouched uh, directly by the uh, by what's been going on in America with Floyd Landis's allegations. Um, but it's ever-present there in cycling at the moment. We, we don't seem to get through a month or a race, or uh, certainly in this time of year with the, with the Giro and now the, and the Tour de France coming up, we don't seem to be able to get through um, a race without something like this happening. And, and the reason for that is because cycling of the present is, is very much the sum of its past, and there's still a lot of unresolved issues that need to be got past and need to be resolved before we can actually draw some kind of line and say, okay, we're going to move forward and uh, not be encumbered by all of the scandals of the past that keep coming back up. I mean, do you think the Floyd Landis stuff will make an impact, or do you think it'll be easy for people to dismiss him as a as a kind of bitter crank? I think it's the obvious line is to uh, dismiss him as a bitter crank because he's been lying for four years. Um, he swore that he didn't um, take drugs for the uh, when he won the 2006 Tour de France, and now he has admitted that he in fact did. Um, so it's easy to dismiss him as a as a somebody with a grudge or somebody um, without credibility as Armstrong and Brunel and the UCI have done my understanding of this at the moment um, and I've got to be a bit careful what, what I say but my understanding of this is that it goes wider than just the cycling authorities investigating this and that in fact um, you know, bigger agencies than the UCI are actually looking at the allegations and that uh, perhaps this won't, won't go away quite as easily as Armstrong and co hope and so who are you looking for for the win um, this week? In the Giro, well, uh, it's, it's always, I'm always reluctant these days to uh, pin my, uh, my colours to the mast, so to speak, because 
particularly in this race because as I said before it has changed so completely um, on a day to day basis I think it's going to be very very interesting to see if the other big riders like Basso and Evans can reel in Arroyo I think that is going to be uh, what everybody's going to be looking for and looking to uh, the Tour de France obviously Bradley Wiggins had a pretty bad day yesterday and so he's out of contention in the Giro but the Tour is he still looking good is Sky looking good are they, are they performing as a as, as at the high level that they need to perform? I think it's been a steep learning curve for them. They came in and they won the first time trial. Bradley Wiggins won the time trial in Amsterdam and took the pink jersey, which was the objective. Since then, he's been very much building, trying to build his form for the Tour de France. So I don't think it was a surprise that he sat back yesterday and, and, and lost a lot of time. Uh, he doesn't want to put himself through the ringer now when he's got the Tour de France coming up. Um, but I think they've been performing pretty well. I mean, not perfect, but uh, they're on a bit of a learning curve. Uh, well, we're just playing out now with um, one of the, uh, the tracks from Simon's uh, CD. This is a Rettore with La Mette, which is in fact one of my contributions. One of your contributions. Yeah, 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 yeah. A very good one too, I think. Who, who are you looking to for, for the win this week? Uh, to, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's... Um, I mean, Basso was a, was, a, was a rider I always followed, and then, you know, that got kind of blown out slightly, you know, he's tall, he's lanky, kind of, you know, I have aspirations of, you know, being Ivan Basso when I was, you know, five or six years ago, and uh, you kind of, you know, you, you do get punched in the stomach, but, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, you know, we've just been talking about it earlier, and, uh, you know, it, it seems that he's, you know, he's back on form, and the way he rode yesterday was, you know, it was great to see, so um, hopefully all, all that other stuff's under the wall, under the bridge, if you like, and, uh, yeah, he's going he's gonna to do it. Great, thanks, well, thanks, Simon, thanks, Lionel, and uh, we'll hopefully get you back maybe for another live broadcast. It's uh, gone all right. I was expecting technical gremlins, but um, we seem to have got to the end without too many. podcast listeners thanks for bearing with the uh, somewhat suboptimal audio there from the first ever outside live broadcast of the bike show you didn't quite get the um, on-air excitement as we were down at look mum no hands um, so um, my apologies and I'm sure we'll get it better next time um, for those who were listening last week I did a little bit of um, research into uh, what Italians say instead of chapeau and apparently you can use um, bravo or you can use in a slightly more formal and non-cycling specific way tanto di capello as you watch your heroes go faster up those mountain passes that's all for this week on the show next week is a uh, guest broadcast by Stuart Watt who's a broadcaster from Scotland Um, it's a really nice piece of radio So um, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy this hot, hot heat that we're experiencing now. Uh, Long may it last and um, stay safe out on those roads. Until the week after next, tanto di capello a tutti. Ciao.